Hey, everybody, and welcome to the I Save That podcast from the Association for Vascular Access. I'm Judy Thompson, the Director of Clinical Education at AVA, and want to welcome you here today. Now, those of you that were able to come to Minneapolis, wow, it was such a good conference. It was so good to be back in person, to see people smile, to give each other hugs, and all the memories made. The educational content just gets better and better every year. Years ago, Jack LaDunn started bringing video to our conference, and people have followed suit. There were some phenomenal videography being done to support our practice and show us some of the wonderful things out there. Our colleagues with the best accents, Drs. Pete Carr and Andrew Bulmer, they did a Star Wars-themed general session that was absolutely phenomenal. It was both educational and entertaining. Dr. Stephanie Pitts did a wonderful and inspiring presentation for her Herbst Award. And then also, along with her team, did another session on the state of the PIV, which was wonderful as well. The conference was great. And if you have an opportunity to go and listen to some of the sessions or do the virtual sessions, I really recommend it. It was great. But now today, before we get started, I'd like to thank Medtronic, the sponsor for today's episode of the I Save That podcast. Now, I'd like to welcome back to our show, Dr. Mike Cyril. Mike is my go-to guy when it comes to renal disease and questions related to renal access. Mike, I'm so happy to have you on our show today. I am so happy to be here again with you. You were at conference speaking on chronic kidney disease and some of the indications and some of the the things that we just don't know about in our vascular access specialty. And your session got amazing reviews and you were inundated with questions after your session. And then I saw you in the hallway afterwards too. And if you had to have gone to the restroom, you would have not have had a pathway because you had so many yeah, people may, talking to you. That may have been uncomfortable. <laughs> it may have been. It may have been. Because the information you guys shared was just so valuable for me and my colleagues, I want to thank you, first of all. Pleasure. Tell me how you liked our conference. Oh, you guys are doing an amazing job. I've been to a lot, of that, a lot of conferences over my career. This has just been, it's just very different than a lot of conferences I've been to. Everybody is so so, so friendly and cordial. It's, it's, it's fun, it's, but the education is there, and it's just, it, it's the way conferences should be designed. People are networking, but at the same time, people are really thirsty for the education and information. So uh, it's been amazing, absolutely amazing. Thanks. So what kind of things, questions did people come up and ask you afterwards that might have surprised you or didn't surprise you and you want to give more clarification? And it was variable, right? So I think the biggest thing that's disappointing to me but not a surprise to me is how many access professionals. And let me let me take a step back. Most of the people at these conferences are already on the bandwagon. They're already on the train. Um, and they're just trying to get more information and then bring it back to their their their, their, their facilities and um, and hopefully we we arm them with the ability to do that. But I'm amazed by how many physicians, nurses, uh, advanced practitioners are just so not in tune with the understanding as to why we protect the vessels of the kidney population. And I got it all the time in my practice. I would get ER, and we talked about this on the podcast before, Judy, you know, we would get ER physicians asking, well, a patient has a fistula on the right arm, why can't we use the left arm? Those come, you know, those complications 
that, uh, that, that arise and there's conversations. And it's very uncomfortable for, for the access professionals because, you know, unfortunately in the healthcare arena, there's a lot of times there's a hierarchy and physicians, quote unquote, are taught that they know best. And that's generally not always the case, right? So, you know, you guys are all out there in the trenches trying to protect the patient's veins, but yet you're also in situations a lot of times where if you cannot educate the people that are ordering these, and I said this at the conference, I said this during my presentation, you guys are not technicians. You guys are access professionals that have a deep understanding of vessel health, and it is really beholden to you to protect these patients, um, unfortunately, as uncomfortable as these conversations end up being. Absolutely. I think um, one of the things that came up during the presentation, and I preached this and had a hard time with some of my colleagues in the past, is we know we have a patient that has renal disease, and they say, oh, but they're okay now. They had a transplant. And I know <laughs> Dr. Stoddard addressed this exceptionally well, but for those of you, the folks that are listening to this that didn't come to conference, can you address that? Absolutely. So, you know, the conference, so, you know, Dr. Stoddard made a good point that the, the um, the long-term survival for patients with transplants are better, but transplants do not last forever. Uh, on top of that, whether you're talking about a renal transplant or you're talking about any solid organ transplant, those patients are in immunosuppressants, and those immunosuppressants are by nature nephrotoxic. So we, you know, you know, we're fighting ourselves, unfortunately, and it's just the nature of immunosuppression at this point. But those patients most likely are going to end up back on dialysis, and if you whack out their vessels between now and then. Um, you're shortening their life expectancy. So some statistics, just for those that, that, that attended the conference and some that didn't, um, I'll elaborate on it a little bit. We constantly talk about, there's two sets of stats out there. There's the USRDS, which is the United States Renal Data System, and that's what everybody goes by. And that's basically all patients that enter an outpatient dialysis center. So the statistics that are out there are based on USRDS statistics. However, there's a good publication out there that talks about CMS statistics, which is all comers of patients that, and including the patients that never made it out of the hospital. We know that 50% of patients crash into the hospital. So, this, so let's go over those statistics really quickly. If you look at statistics, 20% of patients from the USRDS data that enter an outpatient center pass in the first year. 40 to 50%, close to 50% of those patients pass within five years. If you look at the US, if you look at the CMS data, 40% of patients the first year pass. Wow. All comers. So when you look at that and understand that these patients often crash into the emergency room, and after they're, you know, fortunately the patients that have transplant have, are, are being actively followed. The point where I'm going with this is that we have to do better at preserving the health and well-being of the vessels for these patients because if we don't, uh, we are generally we are tremendously shortening their life expectancy. And I'm going to reiterate this. I'm rambling a little bit, Judy, but <laughs> not I'm, at all. I'm going to reiterate this, and I, it's it's because it, I think this is the most important statistic per the USRDS. A patient between the ages of 40 and 44, and you heard me say this in my talk, a patient between the ages of 40 and 44 with with end-stage renal disease has a 25 to 30 year diminished life expectancy compared to a patient of the same age, same demographic, without kidney disease. They're already behind so far. We need, and one of the biggest 
killers of the dialysis population are chronic catheters. And one of the biggest reasons chronic catheters are in for extended period of time, there's a lot of issues and I'm certainly not going to blame everything, but not having available vessels to do an appropriate AV access procedure uh, is one of the factors. There are referral issues, there are education issues, there are fear, there are a lot of reasons. But not being able to establish a timely AV access is the reason why almost 70% of patients still have a catheter um, after three months. Uh, 80%, over 80% start dialysis with a catheter, and we've made no improvement on that in the last decade plus. Mike, this is great stuff. But we're going to take a real quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, Medtronic. Do you treat end-stage renal disease patients requiring hemodialysis? Transform your AV fistula creation with the Ellipsis Vascular Access System from Medtronic. The Ellipsis System's unique single-catheter, non-surgical approach requires no implant or suture and simplifies a traditionally invasive surgical procedure. Guided by ultrasound and with just a single needle stick, It uses patented tissue fusion technology to create the fistula endovascularly. Most patients leave with just a small adhesive bandage. Learn more at Medtronic.com backslash ellipsis. Risks may include total or partial occlusion or stenosis of the anamosis, failure to achieve fistula maturation, steel syndrome, hematoma, infection, and need for vessel superficialization, or other maturation assistance procedures. Federal law restricts this device to sale by or on the order of a physician. Find important safety information at medtronic.com backslash ellipsis. Okay, Mike, there was so much information you shared in that presentation. I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch it again, which is fortunate. (laughs) It was so good. But a couple of the things that you you both mentioned, one of them that just shocked me so much is that, was it 9 out of 10 patients in end-stage renal disease who don't know it till they get to the ER door? Yeah, it's, it's really scary. So 15% of the, uh, the U.S. population have some form of chronic kidney disease. Um, According to the CDC, about 100,000 new U.S. patients are diagnosed with end-stage kidney disease each year. 100,000. Wow. You saw the number of hands that went up in the conference when I asked who's been personally impacted with kidney disease. Of the 15% of the U.S. population that's affected with chronic kidney disease, 9 out of 10 do not know they have kidney disease. 1 out of 2 of those patients uh, patients with severe kidney disease that are not on dialysis but probably need to be or very close to need to be, do not know they have kidney disease. Absolutely staggering numbers, right? And I think the way Dr. Stoddard even kind of wrapped it up is we are worse than the rest of the world in many ways, but likely because we don't have everyone insured in the country. Correct. So what's the, one of the biggest ways to help prevent this is the reason why, um, so, so I'll back up that statistic, which you just said. So we know that 80% of the U.S. patients start with, with, with a catheter. And according to the DOP study, which is the Dialysis Outcomes and Practice Patterns, D-O-P-P-S, great study, by the way. It's a multinational study of the developed world. So we're, not, so we're excluding the undeveloped world for obvious reasons. Uh, the developed world, mostly, uh, West, mostly Western European countries. Um, they're at 50%. So their numbers still are not great, 
but why are they doing better than so much better? 30% better is still a lot better. Why are they doing so much better? Well, early screening. Um, early screening, getting those patients the ability when they're stage 3B, 4 to start planning access. Those patients with the newer technologies like percutaneous AB fistulas, uh, which has not caught on yet as well, only 2% of dialysis patients are, uh, are actually using percutaneous fistulas. But one of the best ways to help that is getting these patients early access. Um, and you're right. We're not. We don't insure our. You know, a lot of these patients are not insured. It's, it's the working poor in our country that, you know, the super super poor typically have uh, Medicaid. The sure. the affluent typically has insurance through their population through their through their, their job. It's that working poor, that middle class working poor, or the lower middle class, or the you know th- they just don't have insurance, and it costs a lot of money to go to a uh, to see a healthcare provider, and a lot of people just don't get screened. So in other countries, you know, they do blood pressure screening clinics and, you know, they do um, kidney health clinics. I would love it if we started doing as community outreach programs, you know, um, you know, blood pressure and, and, you know, an ISTAT, you know, screening. It costs nothing because, you know, it's cartridges. It's, it's a little bit. And maybe, just maybe we can start catching people early enough that will start, will preempt us to, to, to get into nephrology sooner. Um, the ER, the emergency department, not, not berating anybody. The emergency departments don't do a good job screening patients. Patients come into the ER hospital all the time because, you know, for, for colds. Sure, that's your they, primary care. Exactly, they do blood work. They see an elevated BUN and creatinine. Are they referred to kidney doctors? Sometimes. Sometimes not. But even if they're referred, if you're non-insured, exactly, you're not going to go. No, no, because you have to feed your kids. Exactly. So. That's, that's exactly right. So uh, it's it's a problem. I mean, and, and I know this turns into a political and a social, you know, issue. But if you don't have money, you don't have money for care. And um, I'm still, you know, as a healthcare provider, I will always say that uh, you know, healthcare is not a healthcare is a, it's not an option. It's a right. You need to be able to have healthcare. Otherwise, bad things happen. Um, and anybody, anybody's mom or dad or sister or brother or loved one uh, was sick, they want to get them taken care of, if, whether or not they have insurance or not. Absolutely. You know, I, I keep going back to your presentation because I was mesmerized. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a geek when it comes to renal disease, too. But I know Dr. Stoddard, again, was talking about the incidence of, of death when a patient was diabetic, had renal disease, had some heart disease, mm-hmm. and the statistic on how quickly they would pass is staggering to me. Absolutely, absolutely, and hospitalizations, and you know, hospitals are not the you know, hospitals are you know, it's not it's hospitals are not for the sick for the sick. No. It's not the big joke, right? Because there's, there's lots of nosocomial infections and and whatnot. I think the statistic that she gave was, and I can't, I don't have the chart in front of me, but. Once a patient gets to that level, you, you know, 100% of patients, once you get to stage four or five, uh, four or five kidney disease, are, are admitted to the hospital a minimum of one time per year. Right. I think it was of a thousand patient days, 1,365 exactly. so, were admitted. Exactly. But then, you know, you add to that, on top of that, if we don't get official in these patients early, mm-hmm. the chance of them passing sooner with a catheter is Staggering. That's that's right. If, if you guys have the, whoever's listening, if you have not seen these slides, pull them up. They're amazing. Uh, they're amazingly impactful. Um, uh, just, it, just and flip through the slide where you talk about patients that start with a catheter versus patients that start with a fistula. It's it's heartbreaking, and I I know that we're in the same team. We want to make things better somehow, some way. Absolutely. 
But the other part to it, to get back to my vascular access colleagues and my, my, my tribe, when these patients they're com- come in, they're diabetic, they have renal disease, whether they know it or not, but they're going to be admitted to the hospital far more times mm-hmm. and need access devices far more frequently than we have this quagmire. We, we need to treat them but we don't want to be in their veins in reality. Absolutely, and, it's, and, and so it's, and that goes back to your other question. What are, what are the questions a lot of the access professionals are asking me after this meeting? Where do we start access? Well, Mike, hold that thought for a moment. We need to hear another word from our sponsor, Medtronic. Medtronic welcomes the Ellipsis Vascular Access System to its AV portfolio. Learn more about our new percutaneous solution for AV fistula creation. Visit medtronic.com backslash ellipsis. Thanks, Mike, and sorry about that brief interruption. But where do we start access on our patients that have some renal disease? Here's a couple ideas. Um, first off, defer, you know, we know that most patients start with access, uh, dialysis access, in their non-dominant arm. Uh, and the reason for that, in case anybody's interested, is because we want to protect, just in case of an ischemic event, their dominant arm, okay? That does not mean that we don't end up going into their dominant arm at some point. The instance of ischemia is extremely rare. Um, so you want to protect both arms. Uh, you start seeing an elevated BUN and creatinine, you start seeing a low GFR, help slap a bracelet on them uh, to sit no IV sticks, no blood pressure on that arm. So where do you start access? If you look at the anatomy diagram I included in my, in my, in my slides, that cephalic vein actually of, of the forearm actually wraps around the backside of the arm. You never start an access on the backside, the dorsal side of the arm. So if you see a nice good vessel on the backside of the arm, start there. Obviously start the hand, start the dorsal side of the arm, but you're not going to disrupt a fistula if you're working on the backside of the arm. Um, if you, you know, you want to try to avoid these patients, and, and then I would say the next step if you, as you're starting low, um, very few patients end up getting IV uh, and AV fistula on the on the ulnar side of the forearm, meaning uh, on the on the basilic side of the, the pinky side of the forearm. So if you've got to choose a location on the forearm, try to aim towards the pinky side or the ulnar side. And the reason for that is the most common fistula you see in a uh, where we start as distal, anatomically distal as possible, is. Um, the radial cephalic fistula or radial or radial median vein fistula it's whatever vessel you want to call that but it's on the cephalic or the um the the thenar side of the of the forearm as you start to march up the patient's arm um be be cognizant of that 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 big juicy cephalic bicep vein because that is the most common fistula uh in dialysis patients in the united states and an iv sitting in that fish in, in that vein is definitely um, problematic and it prevents maturation. Um, obviously, we want to stay away from the basilic vein as well. But as you as you're marching up that arm further and further and further, you know we're starting to get into AV access territory. Um, so that's the biggest confusion from access professionals. Like, well, I know we need to avoid all these things. Where do we start it? And it, it, it's tough. I, I understand it's very, very, very tough. Um, but so if you, as a general rule, like I said, start on the, start on the dorsal side of the arm. Um, and then if you have to, try to stay as, uh, as medial or, um, you know, towards the ulnar side if you, if you possibly can. And, to, and stay away from your basilic and your cephalic veins of the upper arm, please. Now, I, did, I was about to ask you about that because... 
you and I sat in another session shortly after yours um, at conference, and they were, were doing crazy ultrasound imaging about how quick from a PIV we propagate thrombosis. Mm-hmm. And it just goes hand in hand at what we're talking about. And I have a lot of colleagues that say, well, don't worry about using the basilic because they don't use the basilic for dialysis access. They go to the brachials. And, but we know from your talk that that propagates up and it will impact dialysis access. Without a doubt. So the brachial veins, so the brachial veins are not typically used for, for, to create access, but it's an outflow vessel. You need those brachial veins for access. And, and the basilic vein is actually a vessel that they are using for, you know, the typical brachial basilic vein fistula. So the brachial artery to basilic vein fistula is the second most common fistula. Oh, I think I misspoke. It was the bas- the brachial that yeah, yeah. exactly no, right. nonetheless but, but even way. still you but the brachial veins everything dumps into the brachial veins sure whether you're, if you're the cephalic vein is going to dump in the subclavian your basilic vein is going to dump into your brachial eventually they all come together they do um, okay i gotta go one more topic though go midlines midlines so <laughs> midlines midlines do and that was a couple questions i've had from other uh, other uh, access providers midlines protect the subclavian vein in the sense that the catheter is not residing in the subclavian vein. However, blood flow still needs to get to the subclavian vein. So if you knock out the blood vessels with a midline catheter and typically with, you know, in a brachial vein or a basilic vein or a cephalic vein, you ain't getting up to the subclavian vein for a catheter. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, midlines are just as traumatic to, 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 to a dialysis patient as, as, as a pick line in a different way, but there are, they have just the same amount of sequelae. Um, and here's the thing with midlines. Nephrologists, ID doctors, they don't understand that they don't know what it is. They don't place these devices. They don't understand. And let's, let's be honest, they don't understand the anatomy. They're not sitting there like you, uh, scanning upper arms with, you know, on the ultrasound. They're not experts in this, even though they're the ones ordering these procedures. So it's gonna take a significant amount of education and awareness, and it's an uphill battle. I recognize it, I've done it myself, I've dealt with it, and it's painful. And it takes a lot of time out of your busy day. Um, but I love the idea of a multidisciplinary team and get people, or, or the, everyone involved, and have a committee and understand and, and set really strong rules stating, and, you know, and making sure everybody understands that pick lines, midlines should be avoided in this population. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I can't thank you enough for being here with me today and chatting about renal disease. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And it's always a pleasure, Judy. I you're all, always my go-to. You, you and your tribe, because when I don't have the information, I know you do on this topic. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. My pleasure being here. Thank you so much. You can see the entire AVA calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. Don't miss Facebook Fridays, where we are live at noon Eastern time each week. Toss us a question or give us a like. We're on all the social media platforms. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Google Play Music. Now here comes the legal stuff. The topics discussed on the I Save That podcast are purely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decision that affects your health or the health of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal 
is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any information we've presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this broadcast or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without the prior written consent of the Association for Vascular Access.